Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Recorded Future, they help security teams make more confident decisions faster. Recorded Future's technology automates broad collection and analysis of cyber threat data and delivers the rich external context you need to understand alerts and emerging threats. With real-time threat intelligence from Recorded Future, security teams respond to threats 63% faster and find undetected threats 10 times quicker. To get started, go to recordedfuture.com forward slash security weekly and sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Data. Every day you'll receive an email with the top results for trending technical indicators, cyber news, exploited vulnerabilities, suspicious IP addresses, and more. Subscribe today and stay ahead of cyber attacks. Endgame's converged endpoint security platform is transforming security programs, their people, processes, and technology with the most powerful endpoint protection and simplest user experience, ensuring analysts of any skill level can stop targeted attacks before information theft. Endgame unifies prevention, detection, and threat hunting to stop known and unknown attacker behaviors at scale with a single agent. For more information, visit endgame.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul Security Weekly, where we're burning cigars pretty slow, drinking wine a little faster <laughs> than we're smoking <laughs> the cigars. Uh, a couple of quick announcements before we get started. The Layer 8 Conference has two tracks of talks on social engineering and open source intelligence gathering. The conference is the only one of its kind. It will be held on Saturday, June 8th in Providence, Rhode Island, right here in our, in our home state. Uh, check out the Mental Health Hackers Village, the tool Lockpick Village, and a CTF hosted by Trace Labs. All that and more at Layer8Conference.com. We hope to see you there. We'll be there all day uh, recording shows, and uh, many of us will be giving talks. So Patrick Laverty is someone uh, who I've worked with for a really long time. He, we worked together at the university uh, and have done a lot of uh, different things in the security community together. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Our guest request form, that's right. If you watch or listen to the show and you're like, I really wish the Security Weekly folks would interview this person, we, we, we hear you. You can go to securityweekly.com forward slash guests. You can enter your suggestions. And we've already received a lot of suggestions and have converted those into interviews on the show already. So keep it coming. I think it's uh, absolutely fantastic. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and, and I just want to thank those people who have been writing in and saying you want to interview me. Love you. Love you. Love you. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> we will do that at some point, Joff. Uh, Wait, uh, people have been writing in and asking for that? Uh, it's Joff with his scripts. Joff is just yeah. going oh, to oh, – he's, oh. he's hacked the request the guest yes, request he's form. Python he's just got his learning. Python yep. shell script just yep. running <laughs> constantly. You'll, uh, man, I got, I got some artificial intelligence on that. <laughs> that's <bit>. right. <laughs> You'll note that I didn't do it this time. All right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was going to say this time. Normally, that's your gig, Larry. Yeah, right? no, only John Strand versus John Strand. That's it. That's it. Our oh, okay. uh, interview is not Joff. It's actually Guru. He's the founder and CEO of Cloud Needy, a software as a service company focused on continuous cloud security, data privacy, and compliance assurance. You can find out more at cloudneedy.com forward slash security weekly. That's cloud, N E E T I dot com. Guru, welcome to the show. 
Hey guys, good afternoon, good evening. Yes, nice, nice to have you. Nice smoking folks. Happy yes. to be here. Yes, it's that relaxed environment that we like to, to bring people into and, and talk about technology. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about the technology uh, that you've built. So Guru, I, I guess start by you know telling the story of uh, why you founded the company, how you founded the company uh, to solve this problem that, that we have uh, with cloud and, and cloud applications. Oh, absolutely. So uh, in about 2016 or so, uh, we were working with a couple of enterprises uh, in the uh, in a consulting uh, space, trying to help them uh, have secure architectures, uh, migrate their data centers over to the public cloud, but more uh, more focused on you know getting their architectures, their deployment working uh, on Azure and AWS. And about three or four enterprises approached us, you know, almost uh, in a, in a span of about four to five months' time. Uh, asking us on how do we get visibility, kind of a centralized dashboard for uh, for their security posture. Um, and then one of the auditors came in and said, hey, we are actually working with these enterprises. Can you also overlay a compliance overview on top of it? Uh, so one thing led to the other. Some of these projects started getting converted into uh, some quick starts and over a period of time, we built a product around it. And Guru, what I, what I love about that story is that you really started with people coming to you with a problem. And yeah. like there is no better situation to start a company. Yeah. Right? Like that's it, it, realizing that there's people out there with this problem and you could build a solution is just a beautiful beginning to a company. Well, you might actually say that, but that uh, we saw it much differently. They came to us saying uh, not so much from a product standpoint that they knew that we were we've been doing such work. Uh, in the space, uh, Microsoft and AWS connected us uh, to to these customers, and uh, uh, and the request did not come in as, "Hey, can you go build something?" It came in very very weird. And hey, we already have uh, Azure deployment and AWS deployment. We have no idea whether we should go uh, go to production with it. Uh, the CISOs came in and they say that they will not sign off, you know, on something that they have no idea about. And right? mm. it was a very unique situation where the CISOs actually blocked. Uh, you know, production, uh, you know, uh, releases. And mm -hmm. that's where we were called in, you know, more of an emergency fix on how, how right. you know, how would the enterprises actually find the visibility of their security posture. So it came in as a very weird way. Right. Uh, but it came in over and over uh, and the, we realized that it's a, it's a massive problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, you had a great vision to, to yeah. see that there was a product there. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, tell our audience a little bit about uh, you know the the solution and, and the problem that it solves uh, for your customers today and, and how it does that. Uh, yeah, so I think that's a good segue. Well, kind of let me introduce on what specifically that we are trying to solve. Um, in most of these uh, enterprise conversations, uh, we realize there are three large problems. The first problem is that customers are looking for uh, you know, uh, they have multi-cloud deployments. Either they are migrating to the public cloud, they might have some on-prem data centers, or you know, uh, they are in hosted data centers, if you will. But th now they are wholeheartedly adopting Azure and AWS, right? Uh, in such a scenario, um, the biggest security risk that they see is they have no visibility, you know, around their security posture. Uh, they cannot uh, enforce any uh, kind of organizational standards, you know, be it an internal standard, be it let's say a NIST or a PCI DSS standard, they really can't enforce it. Uh, and the third, uh, you know, and a bigger problem that they started seeing is uh, how do they govern uh, their cloud adoption? Uh, so cloud native, you know, came into being uh, primarily to solve 
the misconfiguration issues and the way that we dealt with it uh, was to really you know uh, pr provide these three aspects visibility you know uh, compliance reporting uh, and managing or, or governing uh, the public cloud adoption in this way in this particular way we are primarily looking at identifying and el eliminating uh, cloud risks you know, uh, that's how the product came into being it, it's funny guru and i i've summarized that uh, on a show probably while drinking where i said misconfiguration leads to compromise and that like that yeah. phrase just kind of like stuck around mm -hmm. Uh, for a while, but I mean, that's really the, the heart and soul of the problem that, well, that you're well, addressing. Enterprises had a way to do this on their end devices when those devices were in the data center, Yeah, right? They would have a configuration management solution. They would go out and validate against CIS or STIG or right. something like that. Because it was an actual, an operating system and some applications and we had, well, I mean, we worked at Tenable, right? Where yeah. we did a lot of that. Had tools. That, yeah. and I built the one at, at Qualys, <coughs> uh, policy compliance. Yeah. Um, and, and so there was a known way to look at the configuration, compare it to known benchmarks or baselines. But as soon as you move to the cloud and you didn't control that environment much anymore, it created this gap of, mm -hmm. well, how do I now do configuration management, not only of the the infrastructure in the cloud but the cloud account itself yeah which was a big gap uh in the market which is obviously what your customers at guru mm -hmm. were, were were struggling with and mm -hmm. it needed a new solution because the old solutions that were very endpoint focused weren't going to necessarily deal with the configuration of the, the cloud account itself and how it, it was configured let alone necessarily some aspects of the infrastructure. Now, Guru, borrowing on, on somewhat Haroon said, and I, I, I think it's really uh, insightful of Haroon to say, you know, a lot of security practitioners will say, well, you know, if I've got an AWS instance and I'm deploying mm -hmm. infrastructure applications to it, like, yeah, I, I, I'm an expert, I've been around, I can learn this stuff and I can control my own configuration, right? But that, mm -hmm. I think that quickly falls down into needing some tools <laughs> to help you do that, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I think uh, what Matt was also kind of mentioning that the um, the uh, the real origins of these kind of a product line, if you will, and Gartner started calling it as cloud security posture assessment or or CSPM in general, posture management. Uh, it starts off with customers have no idea on how to configure their cloud accounts uh, and traditional tools. You know, as I think Matt and you know uh, Paul, you are very aware of it that. All of them are endpoint or virtual machine or host-based or sometimes yep. even network-based, mm -hmm. right? Most of these security auditing tools, compliance tools, you know, or or be, uh, be for that matter, even perimeter management tools, you know, came into being primarily around network and host. But cloud, you know, created, you know, uh, a mass of, you know, differentiated workloads, if you will, which are more cloud-native. You know, how would you put an agent on top of a PaaS service? Let's say you have an Azure or an AWS PaaS service just a website or an API, you know, uh, you know, services, if you will, there is no virtual machine. You can't deploy your agents there. Mm -hmm. How to manage serverless containers? Serverless, you know, it could be Azure functions or AWS Lambda or Google functions. Um, most of the time, the, uh, the deployments are open to the internet, right? There is no network boundary at all. So you can't control through perimeter or network. Mm -hmm. You can't control through agent-based uh, or host-based. So there's no agents, there's no uh, virtual network. The only available controls now, you know, would be you know more app security, more identity-based security, and uh, you know kind of TLS and SSL, now, and even the token-based security. Uh, also, where, 
In that serverless environment, there's really no file for me to audit, right? Like when we were doing configuration yeah. auditing on uh, at Tenable, if there was an application, we weren't yeah. so much tied to that application, but that application had some kind of configuration file, and I could go audit that configuration file. In serverless, yep. like there's no real files anymore, right? Uh, well, serverless has still an endpoint, right? Mm -hmm. You still call an endpoint, and it will, you know, it will still have. Uh, you know, data data in transit kind of encryption. You mm -hmm. still have uh, enablement of maybe SSL, TLS, uh, custom domains. It will still have you know cores, you know, kind of the application level uh, cross origin, you know, uh, uh, aspects. It will have aspects around whether your specific uh, you know entry points are uh, SQL injection protected. Mm -hmm. Are they you know? So there are various configurations in the public cloud. Uh, that are auto enabled for you meaning mm -hmm. you know they uh, allow it for you but you have to still configure it I got uh, you. these serverless con you know serverless uh, functions if you will also contain some frameworks you could have a dotnet or a java or a python framework and many times these are you know the uh, you know let's say you would take in a python 3.6 you know kind of a, a framework that you attach to your aws lambda or an azure function over a period of time it will have vulnerabilities Right, uh, so you will have to go and test against these vulnerabilities. So there are a whole slew of things that you can even do on top of serverless. And you know, thankfully, the cloud providers like Azure, AWS, and Google, they will provide these set of best practices. But it is extremely difficult for you to kind of look into a large checklist and see. You know, in fact, you know, um, AWS has published uh, somewhere closer to 40 plus best practices for AWS Lambda. Right, Azure has published closer to 67 best practices. Google has recently published about 30 plus, you know, serverless best practices, and they're continually adding. How would you kind of manage all of these checklists and make sure that these are uh, protected and these configurations are managed? Mm -hmm. And that's the problem that we are trying to solve. Uh, and you add on top of it, you have virtual machines, you have containers, you have SaaS apps, like you have Office 365, Dropbox, you know, various maybe CASB kind of products, but getting tied in, into uh, the newer space. Uh, you have newer workloads like machine learning. Uh, you would have, you know, uh, a database as a service, you know, which ha which has various open endpoints. So now the problem gets bigger and bigger because the workloads are very very diverse. I think that's you're, the root. You're scaring me, Guru, because I I, I, have, <laughs> I have some of those things that I'm like I'm not really auditing them today. Right, like your like our RDS, RDS database yeah. and uh, all the AWS yeah. uh, uh, account configuration. I know yeah. what you're doing tomorrow. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, Paul, you can run our product, you know, on, right. on your installation, and you'll you'll seriously notice that there are so many RDS configurations on on AWS, so many storage accounts. And, and, and so, uh, I, and I want to tell a quick yeah. story about how that happened. So, yeah. you know, we were moving infrastructure into the cloud, like you described so many organizations doing, right? And I think this happens fairly often where like mm -hmm. I come into work, I'm, you know, founder of the company and doing the architecture design for it. And I come to work one day and I'm like, where's the database container? And the developers are like, oh, we're just using RDS now and it's all working. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of cool, I think. <laughs> right? and, and, but that's how it happens, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the other, you know, kind of dovetail that was on 
telling the story earlier, I was reading some documentation about how to deploy Python apps and, and using your example mm -hmm. guru. And I'm like, oh, it's like a whole tutorial on how to push them up into Google Cloud. I'm like, that's really cool. And it looks really easy. And that's and how you get ants. If you, and that's how you get <laughs> ants. Very, yes, that is exactly how you get yep. ants. Yeah, but yep. Google App Engine, same sort of thing when Ben Jackson and I were doing the whole stuff with uh, mm -hmm. the metadata stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the website that does all the, the, the back-end data analysis that was doing all of the analysis of all the images on Twitter got pushed to Google App Engine. Mm -hmm. It's still there, and I have no idea right. how it works. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, yeah. well, I think, uh, and not to scare you guys, but in general, I think this is a kind of a real experience that we had with uh, two enterprises, uh, although they might not publicly you know, uh, go live with something like this, right? So... <laughs> These enterprises, they, you know, they bought uh, AWS accounts and Azure subscriptions, right? For, from a from a dev standpoint, they had nothing deployed on it, no virtual machines, no workloads of any kind, right? But they were, you know, they were still active, and they had a budget, you know, uh, an unlimited budget on these, uh, and um, you know, and we were, you know, we were in the process of starting to use them to start building them, and it so happened that they were. Uh, their, uh, you know, uh, identity and access management systems were hijacked. Uh, they were, you know, their um, their accounts or credentials were pawned. And when we started actually using it, we found that there are a couple of virtual machines, really big virtual machines, you know, about 128, uh, uh, you know, CPUs, you know, massive, you know, uh, 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 massive storages, really large compute uh, clusters. Uh, and then we inquired, like, who's really running it? Actually, nobody was, you know, within the enterprise, uh, you know, had ownership of it, which essentially meant that they were crypto jacked, right. their accounts mm -hmm. were hijacked, and you know, uh, and nobody knew about it. And they, they were, had, and, and they were running Bitcoin harvesting. Yeah, and you don't and realize to exactly. your environment to, to, you to get go, a hundred thousand dollar bill for your compute for the yeah. month. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yep. Nice. So, uh, and I think that's that's the first time we uh, we saw that uh, you know that traditional tools would not work. Mm -hmm. Traditional tools will only look at network and host. You know, this is a new game, right? Where you know account hijacking becomes the first uh, ball, uh, you know, ball that the hijackers can roll in and see whether it, it operates. If it operates, they don't care about you know your workloads. They can stand up something new and try something like Bitcoin harvesting. And yeah. uh, and we've experienced it ourselves. Some of our Enterprise customers experiences ourselves. This yeah. is crazy. We, that, that's Didn't we have that issue? Well, at, yeah, we, we did. Yeah, someone deployed a new container because we left an API yeah. open. Thankfully, it was a, a denial of service attack and we got uh, traffic. No, we had configured some mm -hmm. monitoring uh, around the uh, compute side. So, billing, we would get notifications and uh, bandwidth, we would get notifications. So, we were notified that that happened, right? But before there was all these cloud services, if an attacker got into your system and was using the compute, it really wasn't a big deal. Like, yeah, if they stole some data, that might mm -hmm. be a big deal. But if they were just using it for compute, it was like, I'm not getting a $100,000 bill. Like, I go back to the story where at the university we had this big supercomputer, right? And someone broke in mm -hmm. and was using the compute cycles on it, and no one really noticed until yeah. the attacker started applying patches so that other <laughs> attackers wouldn't get in. And then they were like, wait, why are all these patches being applied? But, I mean, you know, they cleaned wait, it up. Wait, why is this they, shit not broken anymore? Yeah, they, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right? And they cleaned it up and kicked the attackers out, and it's not a big yeah. deal, except 
uh, you know, now you in the might, cloud, in the cloud, you get a big you're bill. You're gonna, you're gonna get a bill mm. for not only yeah. the compute, but the the big ones, the bandwidth. <laughs> that's right. the one that's gonna nail you yeah. too. Yeah, the bandwidth, the uh, the compute. I've got another uh, scenario. Yeah. I'm trying to get my hands. Huge databases. We've seen some really crazy things as well. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Dave. Lee. So one of the scenarios we've been talking about is beyond. You know, we talk about protecting it at, at rest in the cloud and in, in, in route to the cloud. Is they're talking about protecting data while being processed, and mm-hmm. who on the cloud service can access can scrape data out of memory, and mm-hmm. that's been really perplexing. And I'm wondering, have you run into that use case yet? Uh, so yeah, so I think uh, probably Matt, you know, keeps talking about you know, you know, host or app and user, you know, you know, kind of these three tiers, if you will, uh, and we have seen, uh, you know, that you know, in transit. Or in memory, you know, really being you know attacked at the app level, right? Or within within app. And I think uh, you know tools uh, like Qualys is trying to go, you know, you know, look at that. But we have seen that on the in the pure cloud world, Azure and AWS, they are investing very heavily into you know, in-app protection, app uh, whitelisting, uh, you know, uh, kind of scenario. So the risks, you know, um, are are getting reduced. But unfortunately, these are not enabled by default, and that's again a configuration that the customers will have to deploy. Uh, but we have we have seen uh, we have seen threats uh, being coming out from uh, Azure and AWS. You have you know you call in a guard duty, you call in you know Azure Security Center API, and you will find a threat that something was run. A, you know a specific uh, uh, server you know uh, had a specific uh, you know app or a process. For whom the memory boundaries were violated, and nobody can tell why they were violated, right? Uh, and then you start digging into it, and you'll see that hey, there's a small pattern that's coming in. You know, some process somewhere, you know, had a remote access available, and that comes in only once in like X number of days, uh, and tries, you know, kind of a recon mission to go find out what's vulnerable and attempts to do that, and, and then it goes silent. So yeah, so it it, it is a trend that is happening. Because I've run into some conversations, and the and the and the quick answer seems to be, well, if you're worried about it being accessed, just encrypt it all in route to and from the cloud, so that you're not putting unencrypted data in the cloud. But that makes it kind of hard to process on the remote end. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's across the board, right? On the, um, you know, a lot of new SaaS apps that are that enterprises are consuming, right? They are delivered, you know, over the browser, and the browsers, right, right uh, sometimes don't have course enabled, you know, a CORS enabled, right? Or for that matter, their JavaScript uh, tooling itself, you know, uh, can be hacked. You know, sometimes the man in the middle, I think the previous gentleman before this uh, call talking about honeypots. So some of these uh, these things are getting more and more, uh, if you will, visible, you know, because of the SaaS delivery models, because of uh, even the SaaS or the ISVs who are building these things, they don't go through their own penetration testing, but enterprises will now consume them because these are small microservices. They won't think they might be vulnerable. A simple example being, you know, uh, we were using SendGrid, we were using Twilio. These are SaaS-enabled services that developers will think that, hey, I want to send a pager, I want to send a notification, let me go use that. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, these are not always um, enabled through SSL, right? Uh, sometimes even, TLS 1.0 or older versions of SSL are being, you know, deployed for that. So which means that man-in-the-middle attacks 
you know, pretty much, pretty much are certain. You know, you can put a network monitor, you know, uh, on within the enterprise and being able to kind of sniff out, look at some of these SSLs and being able to go go against it. So yes, this these are a lot of these SaaS apps, you know, coming into the enterprises being deployed, and that makes it you know very difficult to to manage that as well. I, I hope I didn't stray much beyond your question there. No, no, you did. You did great. It's not trivial. Guru, I I wanted to go back to, you know, even in smaller organizations, let alone large enterprises, mm -hmm. you have people mm -hmm. deploying uh, new technology, and you may not know about it. Um, does Cloud Needy help with that, or do you have to do a discovery process and then apply uh, compliance so that they are deploying that securely? So um, we have uh, three use cases that, you know, or rather three kind of buyer personas that come and knock on our doors. The first one is someone who's migrating to the public cloud for the first time, right? And they were referred to us either through the cloud provider like Azure or AWS, right? Or some of our partners, some of the managed services partners would, would bring us to the table. Uh, and we find them that, you know, they would not understand cloud security best practices at all, right? So some of these things, we have to go and educate them that cloud is different, you know, just like we are talking about it now. Uh, we had to go sit down with them. Uh, most times they would have either infrastructure engineers, someone who has a background around networking or app developers, right? They won't have, especially small ISVs or mid-size or SMB kind of uh, you know companies, they won't have an InfoSec team or a GRC team. Uh, they would bring us in for educational purposes and they will use our product you know, uh, to do a quick assessment of where they stand. Uh, because our product is agentless, uh, deployed as a SaaS service, Right. Uh, the onboarding time it takes is about less than five to ten minutes for them to, you know, build, you know, bring in their AWS Office 365 or Azure subscriptions uh, to the table. Uh, they would be able to go quickly assess where they stand. And so, uh, the, yeah, yeah. So in that case, right? I mean, you would have certain kind of benchmarks to evaluate against those Correct. different uh, cloud accounts, and Correct. be able to come back and analyze. Okay. This is best practice for O365 or for your Azure configuration. Mm -hmm. Give them a quick checklist to say, okay, here's where you have gaps in yeah. your configurations. These are things you might want to look at and turn on or reconfigure to enforce mm -hmm. a better uh, compliance posture. You mean it would have told me, hey, dummy, don't leave your Docker API open to the internet? <laughs> would it have done that, yeah. Guru, for yeah. him? Yeah, yeah. so uh, I, trust me, uh, I think what Paul mentioned, that happens all the time. You know, Docker API has been exposed to the internet all the time. We have Kubernetes clusters that are open to the internet, you know, all the time, right? Uh, we would have uh, virtual machines with uh, RDP access enabled all the time, right? Uh, there's nobody who will go ahead and put, you know, a JIT or just-in-time access at all. We would have storage accounts, you know, be it S3 buckets or Azure storage accounts open to the internet all the time, right? So these are things I, I that- I only feel a little better, Guru. <laughs> <laughs> he only made one of those mistakes, one, not all of those. It, 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 it only takes one, though. Except for I don't it, think you've checked your RDS configuration to make sure it's not open to the internet. Uh, no, I have not. Uh, guess what he's doing tomorrow, yep. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Tonight when yeah. I get home. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but to tie uh, you know to tie into what Matt was mentioning, right? So these customers will will ask us, hey, you know, uh, we either want to be secure. So some some of these customers start off with a security angle that, hey, I. I want to make sure that I am following all the CIS best practices or in general, all the security best practices, you know, across the board, right? Regardless of whether, which benchmark I choose. So in that case, we provide them with a 
cloud security best practices policy package, which tells them, you know, within about 10 minutes or so that your X percentage or your so many policies that are, you know, that, that are, you know, that you fail or pass, right? Uh, the second set of customers that will ask us is, I want to go ahead and achieve, let's say PCI DSS compliance or HIPAA compliance or NIST or FFIEC compliance. So we support about 11 plus compliance frameworks. So they would start uh, tinkering around, you know, they would have usually about 10 to 20 odd, uh, you know, uh, cloud subscriptions. Could be a combination of Azure, AWS, and M365 or Office 365. Uh, and they want to get an aggregated view that, hey, I want to be sure that once I get in front of the auditor, I'm able to go produce the evidence to them. Uh, so they would start almost three to six months uh, earlier uh, and start working with us on continuous compliance. So the first day they will say that, hey, I am about expert-based compliance, and they would, you know, uh, they would work with us on what are the top things that I should go solve so that I reduce the risk you know, initially from a security standpoint. And over a period of time, I get better and better from a compliance standpoint. So that's the second kind of customer that comes uh, and works with us. Uh, and you know, and we are releasing a risk posture uh, very soon to them, trying to tell them that these are the things that you should do uh, within the first 15 days or 30 days time frame, at least close off all of your you know, uh, internet enabled or internet facing you know, services, these are the things that you should do. So we'll kind of give them a quick wins checklist and then follow up with a 60-day or a 90-day kind of a guidance. Uh, but that's the second kind of customer. Uh, the third kind of customer that we kind of get is usually the, you know, usually the GRC or the risk auditors. Uh, and it, it's very funny that you think that the risk auditors or uh, compliance auditors will understand how to audit. Uh, most of the times they're really good at people, processes, you know, um, trainings, whether, you know, you know your endpoint uh, devices are, are good or not, but they are completely, uh, you know, I would say even illiterate, if you will, you know, if you want to go till that state about cloud uh, security and cloud compliance. So they would use our product, you know, to even A, understand how to look at compliance. You now we have some PCI DSS QSAs uh, who are, you know, auditing, you know, as, as third party to their customers. Uh, they would deploy our product, you know, get the, you know, audit uh, uh, audit reports, and then work with the customer and advising on various risks. That's the third, you know, kind of customers that we find who use our product from an auditing standpoint. Yeah, I think the point there is that the IT auditors know yeah. the traditional IT audit skills, which is network, yeah. endpoint, etc., but may not have had to deal with auditing in the cloud and what do they really need to look for there to perform an audit to verify a level of compliance in this new world? Exactly, yeah. I think, you know, I got distracted. Uh, Paul was handing out the wine bottle, yeah. and I was just about <laughs> to go and grab it. You, you have to make a visit here it, to the studio. I, I know. I, I can't get this to you fast enough. You're in Seattle, baby, so. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I missed the train of thought there. But, yeah, the internal auditors, you know, also don't, sometimes understand you know, how to audit uh, workloads which are not network or host-based. Uh, so we have one of the ISVs uh, who's purely serverless, right? including the front-end serverless. Uh, they have nothing deployed you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, from a host standpoint or even a networking standpoint. Right? Uh, they only have like AWS Lambda functions and an RDS, you know, uh, uh, an RDS database you know, behind the scenes 
but even they even that they are converting into a consumption plan right you know aws has announced a few of them even that's becoming serverless so that makes the internal auditor very queasy about how do i audit something that he doesn't understand yeah no i, I, I can see I, that i now. just i want to go to the pen testers in the room and in those in in the audience I, i'd like to hear from you as well we we've talked uh about you know basically cloud cloud security uh for the majority of this segment is is that coming up on your radar are you is that in scope are you making it in scope are you finding vulnerabilities in cloud architecture or is it still really like kind of going back to Haroon's example of finding some AWS keys and getting access to the infrastructure guru also gave an example of that as well uh, how is this included in scope on your pen test and if so in what in what capacity well, I can weigh in uh, really quick. Go ahead, uh, Paul. I would say yes. Um, but what I'm typically seeing is uh, cloud deployed uh, web applications becoming in scope quite frequently. Um, and also the other example that you just put out there, and that is in uh, some the context of, of some uh, pen test, be it an internal, external, maybe even web app, you or or uh, some sort of source code review, you find a, a token disclosure mm -hmm. uh, in there that you then leverage to um, gain much wider access to data that, that you probably shouldn't have access to, right? Um, so I think a little bit of both. We are seeing some um, uh, some cloud architecture, security review kind of work um, come around as well uh, here and there. So, Joff, so are you seeing some of these open accounts like open database access, open Docker API. Are you guys actually testing for some of those open to the public capabilities that should be closed down? Do you see those in your pen test? I'm just curious mm. how much of that you actually see. Well, I, it, that's hard to comment on because I haven't been as involved with those tests as some of the other folks in the company lately. I've, I've been more focused on uh, in internal network uh, pen tests and, and some malware development work. So, mm -hmm. um, I can't give you a recent uh, a recent example there. But um, I, I mean, I'm going to guess yes. Maybe maybe Larry has uh, some input on that. <coughs> I'm a Joff. I'm unfortunately about the same sort mm -hmm. of stance as you are. Because so have a different been, focus. Yeah, a, a different focus. Um, but I, and I'd like to say, yeah, I, I think we probably have based on some of the, you know, the rumblings that I hear about, oh my God, I can't believe they did that <laughs> going on. Yeah, I, I, I will tell you that I have encountered on a number of tests in the past, uh, situations where somebody left, um, um, you know, so a source repository, uh, sitting on a production server somewhere that I discovered, managed to, uh, pilfer, uh, storage tokens from it, uh, managed to write, you know, Python scripts using the Boto. Uh, library to uh, actually, you know, access storage uh, and investigate that and and use it to my advantage. So these kinds of things definitely are happening, um, and uh, I I think it's a problem from the perspective of I think uh, kind of exec level uh, people, and it may not just be at exec level. So um, don't take me wrong, execs out there, but I think people do have the impression uh, somewhere along the line that once I go cloud. Um, maybe my security problems are over. And I think that's an impression that we need to talk about a little bit more because that's certainly not the case. We all know that. Um, we need to communicate that message that your security problems and responsibilities 
uh, you know, don't get checked at the door once you sign up to a cloud provider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, That's this is the uh, the old adage when you outsource, right? You could yes. outsource the risk or outsource the function, but you couldn't outsource the risk. Same kind of exists, I think, in the cloud environment. You might be outsourcing your infrastructure to the cloud, but the configuration of that account is still your responsibility as an organization. Mm -hmm. Yes, the cloud providers have added additional security features, but they may, may not be turned on Turn by default. On. Yeah. And, yeah. and how do you know that those configurations are correct such that you can configure the environment correctly, secure it a little more, and then leverage some of those tools to help add additional layers of protection from your cloud provider. But again, you've, you've got to know that they're enabled or not. Yeah, Guru, one of the reoccurring themes that I, that I keep hearing and seeing in the news is uh, uh, abuse of the authentication and authorization piece. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think this kind of is a parallel to when I read about DNS hijacking. I'm like, oh, some yeah. super cool like network attack and they're hijacking the DNS. And then I read the article. I'm like, oh, like they password sprayed to get into whoever was yeah. hosting, you mm -hmm. know, the registrar and they just changed their DNS servers. I feel like yeah. a lot of the same things are happening in cloud environments that the like most basic level is to protect your cloud assets you got to have proper authentication and authorization and some processes in technology around notifying you if that happens, for example. Are there a lot of uh, cloud configuration type audits that can help organizations improve their authentication schemes? Oh, you yeah, I think, I, yeah, uh, maybe at a, uh, slightly at a broader level, right? So there are four or five different kinds of uh, issues that you know, even for like a pen tester and auditor, mm -hmm. uh, need to be educated about. The first one is uh, in the cloud world, identity and access is becoming one of the primary parameter, if you will, right? The you know the primary protection layer, if, you know, if you will. And understanding uh, you know AWS, uh, IAM, and Azure uh, Active Directory, you know, based IAM, uh, it's very very different, you know, than understanding your on-prem Active Directory, right? So uh, I, I would argue, Guru, it's hard right now to figure out how that stuff works, let alone <laughs> yeah. how to secure it. I mean, having written yeah. some uh, scripts this week that interface yeah. with various APIs, just figuring yeah. out how you're supposed to authenticate to make it work yeah. is a challenge yeah. today. It, it is a challenge. You know, authentication is a challenge. Granting role-based access, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, permissions, you know, uh, which is kind of dual layer, right? So one for your DevOps teams, right, who has access to your operational data yep. and other from an app standpoint to your, your users, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the times uh, your focus is around, you know, uh, external, uh, you know, authorizations or even for yep. that matter, app-based uh, you know, or role-based security. But most of the attacks that happen you know, on your infrastructure happen to be more from the DevOps or you know, the controls yeah. there Agreed. are not met, the RBACs are not met. Uh, that's mm -hmm. one thing that needs to be protected. Uh, the second, and you've seen this like, you know, almost in uh, closer <clears throat> to 15 odd uh, you know, customers, you know, just in the last three months, right? Uh, uh, that nobody knows how to monitor, right? Even if there is a you know, preventative control, right? Uh, you might, you might be able to audit those preventative controls once in you know once in a quarter or so. There's no detection controls. There's no monitoring controls, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know that hey, someone accessed my RDP, my, my virtual machine. Someone uh, you know you know made a request to let's say the Docker API, or someone made a request to my you know uh, to my virtual machines, my containers, my SaaS services, 
SaaS services. Yeah, that, so, and that's right? a great point. Like, how do I know that someone is abusing some kind of OAuth token right. that's stepping right. outside? Like, I know my application does a very specific right. thing and uses OAuth to authenticate. It's right. pretty easy if you have the monitoring capabilities to know that something else like stepped outside the bounds of what normally happens. Correct. Monitoring that is really hard. Yeah, yeah, and uh, AWS and Azure particularly, and very recently Google announced you know, various set of monitoring associated to all, pretty much all of their services. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, none of these are enabled by default. Right? Yeah. And every single service, and AWS has about 160 plus services. Mm -hmm. Azure, has, Azure has about 150 plus services. For each one of them, there is a slight variation on how do you enable monitoring, right? Some you enable monitoring by going, you know, attaching that to your storage account. Some you, you know, enable it through CloudTrail. Some you enable it by going directly to your local SIM. And Azure has its, has their own SIM now, which is called Azure Sentinel. Some will go and put that into a log analytics or some, you know, some kind of uh, storage bucket, if you will. So each of these services are to be configured differently, and mm -hmm. customers really need to understand uh, how to enable them by default, right? Uh, that's the so the second boundary, if you will, on, on from a detection standpoint, whether you know, you know, whether you know somebody has accessed it, and can you actually monitor it? Mm -hmm. uh, most times, what we have seen is uh, you know, enterprises will say, "Hey, I have Splunk, right? I don't need to think about it." But they don't configure all of the data coming in from all of right. these services that they have on Azure and AWS connected to Splunk, right? Mm -hmm. And they will assume that somebody else is monitoring Splunk, so I don't need to care. Mm -hmm. right? And the app devs will, you know, uh, happy to open up a pass endpoint, uh, a serverless endpoint. They're not connected to Splunk at all. So right. uh, we have seen, and I think this is a this is a test that even a pen tester should be able to go and do this, right? Uh, stand up a virtual machine on Azure or AWS, right? And even before it boots up, right? Within about two minutes or three minutes or so, if you attach your monitoring to CloudWatch, CloudTrail, or to Azure Monitor, you will see password, uh, you know, or brute force attacks, password hash attacks, you know, even before the virtual machine has been booted, right? Mm -hmm. uh, naturally, it is always open to the internet, right? Mm -hmm. By default, you know, it is always open to the internet when you stand up a virtual machine, unless you automate it, right? So that you should right. put it into a network. And that's, you know, and that's scary. And, and we saw that, we stood up, you know, an Azure virtual machine, you know, and you know, side by side, AWS virtual machine, and we actually, you know, counted the time it takes for uh, we seeing the first password hash attacks or brute force attacks. Hmm. Uh, in the case of Azure, you know, it was uh, closer to 1.3 minutes, right? You uh, uh, know, about 100 odd, you know, seconds or so, right? Uh, in case of AWS, it was much less than that. It was less than a minute, right? And and that's scary because now if you don't know that you're getting attacked or you're you know getting either abused for that matter or you're breached right it is very difficult mm -hmm. so the concept of assume breach you know that most enterprises talk about uh it's a good concept but they should put in these detective controls or monitoring controls to be even have that visibility uh, and that's what we also you know uh, advise as part of the you know uh, as part of an automated uh, monitoring so these you know uh, iam based controls you know, a TLS-based encryptions from a data transit standpoint, uh, logging, monitoring controls, and all the way down to, uh, you know, all the way down to whether your storage databases are encrypted. Uh, that are, uh, are they protected from an RBAC standpoint? Do we, do they have, you know, 
less than about you know uh, maybe two percent or three percent of your uh, of your entire uh, users uh, user base who has access to your cloud account they are you know privileged admins or not uh, you know, same is the case we, we in fact we have seen some recent attacks with uh, key vaults you know be it aws you know kms services or azure key vaults they're open to the internet by default they're open to the internet right so most times nobody notices them uh, that yeah, you know because they're not is, monitoring them like you said yeah 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 they're not no, they're, nobody's noticing them that their key vaults are getting accessed all they've noticed it is that hey my you know my billing you know for key vault right. has suddenly started increasing but they won't notice that somebody's actually accessing it you know uh, on an infrequent basis uh, so monitoring is is a, is a huge deal at, at least uh, you know not focus only on the asset based monitoring which is like your virtual machines or containers but pretty much all of you, all of your services because you if you get That's... hacked into key vault you pretty much get hacked across the board it's scary i i feel like it's taken us 20 years to be having conversations about how we secure active directory and we've made headway when it's locally on premises and still there's organizations that are catching up there but it, it could take the next 10 or 20 years for us to have that same level of maturity as we apply it to the cloud yeah hey paul yeah. i just remembered uh you know on that topic when you when you're talking about active directory uh, specifically we have seen instances where organizations have inadvertently exposed their active directory fairly openly through the fact that they have you know a cloud mirror of yeah. what's on prem um and most of it is is just what Guri said. It's it's misconfiguration or not understanding uh, the correct uh, best practices they need to apply when they when they actually deploy. It's one uh, of my so. fears about DevOps, right? It's that combination of development and operations, which are traditionally more separate. And we've made arguments that it it, it can be more secure, and I get that. However, if you look at a traditional on-premises deployment. You've got development and operations and security, and they're operating independently, right? So there's someone on a physical firewall going, yeah, no, 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 no internet traffic, right? <laughs> when you go to the cloud and those things are together and you've got developers potentially making decisions, a lot of times in, making decisions. And spinning up infrastructure. Infrastructure. There's no separate person going, no, I'm managing the firewall you know, for our, our cloud instance. The, the firewall is just all in software and it's part of the development right, process. Right, because the, de the developers yeah. are and they're going, ah, oh, my client can't get access to the server, so yeah. take Open everything. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. IP any, IP any, any. Yeah, so, so, so the speed so, and agility so can actually... Can I add something to Paul yeah. there? Sorry, go so, ahead, Guru. Yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, and I think it, it aggra aggravates a little more, right? So you can now stand up your firewall instances per app. Right? There's no centralized firewall. Right. There's no software defined. So we've seen that one enterprise customer has closer to 40 odd uh, apps. Each of them has their own instance of a firewall, you know, uh, yeah. has, a, has their own instance of a DDoS protection. Some of them have it, some of them don't have it. So there's no standardization, uh, standardization. but it gets aggravated because there's no centralized firewall anymore. Mm. And, and you can define a firewall with its own IP, right? Uh, you know, for each of the individual apps. And right. there's no centralized control over it. Yeah. Uh, and that makes it much more difficult. It used to be when Joff and I were at the university, we managed the firewall 
we said on all of our border firewalls, never, ever, ever accept an RDP connection from the internet. Yeah. And administrators, yeah. right, Joff, would come like knocking on our door, oh, yeah. like, I really need this. And we're Make like, no, happen. you need no. to use the, the VPN. Yeah. Like, no, you're not <laughs> yeah. doing that. But now today, that's that's out the window. That level of control has gone out, out mm -hmm. the window. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And which I is understand. why I think companies like Palo Alto and Checkpoint, you know, are, yeah. are still in the game that, hey, now you need to still ensure that kind of a firewall protection but i think the enterprises are uh, you know need to understand that you know uh, of course you know the cloud based security services be it firewall ddos protections you know they come um, at a much cheaper price point yes. right so the feature to cost you know ratio or you know, cost to feature ratio is extremely you know favored you know, for the customers less than 5% or 10% of uh, you know a firewall cost that you would pay to a palo alto or, or checkpoint vendor you would you would, you would uh, you know, you'd buy it from Azure or AWS. Yeah, but, but the, the problem, yeah. Yeah, but now the challenge is how do you centrally manage all those all distributed yeah. environments? Yes. And that's where I think yeah. some of the firewall management companies have an opportunity to really hybridize across both on-prem deployments yes. and cloud yes. deployments to really look at the configuration of all these all distributed firewalls now. Mm -hmm. Similar to the conversation we had with OpenVPN yesterday, yep. Yep. this concept of a distributed mesh. It's a mesh. It's a mesh. Right. Right, but how do you centrally manage a highly distributed mesh? And those guys that figure out how to do how that, to do that actually win. help us and, yeah. and and win the the broader firewall management game. Yep. Well, I, there's an upside I think too. The fact that the software stack is is starting to merge, uh, it, it brings with it um, you know software defined security controls that yep. that you know are on the cloud as we know, but it also brings with it the ability to perform micro segmentation. So if you end up with um, a, a more centralized strategy where you can orchestrate that, for lack of a better word, um, uh, in a centralized policy um, sense, then then you potentially have much better chance of enforcing properly than you do with the older model, which was sort of that single brick roadblock kind of model and mm -hmm. everything had to fit into certain layer three boundaries uh, to make it work. You know, now we have the idea that the stack is more vertically integrated and a lot of those boundaries are driven by the applications, they're driven by the, the, the user structure and the directory. And, and so there's huge opportunities now with, with, the, with the software defined nature of, of, of a decentralized perimeter. It's a matter of people actually seizing upon it and, and bringing that, that, uh, that policy centralization back uh, yes. into, in, into the whole framework. Yeah, and it's that centralization uh, yeah. of the to, policies and management yeah. that's going to be critical. Yep. Yeah, the decentralization is is you know is necessary, but I think to adding to the point, yes, the verticalization of these stacks are happening, but it uh, the problem gets aggravated you know because now it is also distributed across multiple cloud accounts. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you'll have app yep. one onto a cloud account one and app two on a cloud account two, right? Uh, you if you start thinking that hey, might have production accounts which are relegated to only cloud account one to 40, right? How do you centrally manage a centralized policy, let's say for your firewall or for your RDP access at a single console? There's nothing like that because you have it distributed across multiple cloud accounts. So central policy management, either cloud providers themselves will do it, or let's say Palo Alto or Checkpoint or someone like that brings in, um, maybe not necessarily an appliance, but an in-built service. Mm -hmm. which provides that centralized console view, right? That would be amazing. Uh, but there's none like that today. Hmm. 
Well, I, I think it also big, it brings in the question and, and actually raises the uh, a visibility again of what we used to call an enterprise architect, somebody that actually has that, that sort of global perspective of their organization's assets and can exert some design uh, over the top of what's being deployed. Um, that's going to become an even more valuable role when you've got such massive decentralization of of the perimeters and 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 such uh, you know exponential uh, virtualization of the application layer, which is happening right now. Yeah, that's a great point, Josh. To think about how that role has uh, evolved over time, right? Or back how the, it needs to re- and it evolve. needs to evolve, right? Because yeah. back it, in the day, it, it, it was, needs yeah. to reemerge in a way. It I does, Josh. You're right. Because back in the day, that was a typically. Uh, a really talented Cisco engineer that was looking at the problem holistically, and there was a lot of physical infrastructure being deployed, right. and they were architecting how all that stuff tied together. All those routes happened. They were managing and, the oh, routes, yeah. but, but now <laughs> that, that's, that's, right. that's an old, that's an archaic model today. Now it's all software-defined, and it's so up in the I, cloud. I, I think, and then I think on that, top of that, that, that model needs to emerge again, redefined as a, a new role, and I'm sure forward-thinking organizations are already doing this. I would hope so. Um, and I don't know about you, Paul, but I held, I held that title at one point in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably did too. And uh, you know that was a pretty important role back in the day, and, yeah. and, and it probably should reemerge. Agreed. Lee? The, yeah, uh, I was thinking on top, on top of that, the, uh, the way the cloud is set up, it, it almost facilitates shadow IT. So if you keep yes. an enterprise arm around what's really going on, is becomes exponentially difficult and i had a question for guru and that was it seemed like with the complexity of the cloud and when you start discovering what's out there in an enterprise how much time do you have to spend educating the client about what they have going on because they simply don't understand the intricacies complexity or volume Mm. oh that's a challenge to us i think that's a great question let me let me split this into two parts of it the first part is uh who do we educate, right? You know, uh, within the enterprise, there are, yeah. you know, usually three divisions, you know, that come in and knock on our doors from an, even from an education or training standpoint. The first one is the guys who are provisioning the infrastructure. Traditionally, these days, uh, they've been referred as DevOps, right? The second set of organization which don't work with them today are the InfoSec team, right? They happen to report into some other organization, could be a CISO, mm-hmm. you know, or someone, mm-hmm. right? Uh, traditionally, they come in yeah. from, uh, I know how do I manage the policies for data center. I know I have some knowledge about cloud, but I have no idea about the various best practices that I can deploy for cloud. Then there's a third, you know, kind of, uh, you know, set of people who, you know, who are separate from these, which are kind of the internal auditors or even mm-hmm. the SOC team, right? Uh, on, you know, most of the SOC, um, SOC team today, or even the internal auditors, if you bundle them into one organization, uh, we see that you know they understand you know uh, prevention well. They understand detection well only for the ones that they know about, which is virtual machines, maybe some containers, endpoints. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and maybe very recently some pass as well for some of the more innova- innovative uh, enterprises. But they don't have a holistic tool around how do I detect, how do I prevent, how do how do I identify these threats and try to you know you know put caps around it. So we end up, you know, uh, initially, and as we started the product, we used to work mostly on the DevOps and InfoSec space and an, and, uh, and an area in between to educate both of them as they migrate to the public cloud. 
But now as we are you know, becoming more and more of a product company, uh, we've started you know, uh, working and, and partnering with MSPs, you know, very large MSPs, uh, the top seven or eight in the, uh, in the Gartner's quadrant. Right? Uh, we've started working with each one of them. And instead of we educating the enterprises, right, we, we understand that these enterprises are employing these MSPs. We will rather take the time to uh, you know, educate you know, and, uh, and teach how these MSPs to fish Right. Uh, we yeah. and we provide as a product. We provide the visibility. We provide the set of best practices, uh, and we have a total of about twelve, you know, about twelve hundred or thousand two hundred best practices, you know, co- combined for only security and compliance best practices for Azure, AWS, and and Office 365. And by the end of the year, we'll be somewhere in the ballpark of between three thousand to four thousand odd, you know, best practices over there. Uh, so it takes time for us to educate enterprise. So we'll educate MSPs and educate auditors and SOC team on how to integrate. Uh, and we, we also integrate directly into, let's say, ticketing systems. Uh, and within the ticketing systems, you know, when we say that there's a deviation, we will put in detailed set of you know, uh, remediation or recommendations that, hey, you can run this script and we will provide some scripts uh, for them to run you know, f- you know, for you know, either guided remediation or auto remediation. Or we will uh, tell them that you go into let's say Azure console or AWS console uh, and do click, 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 and you are able to go prevent this particular configuration. But we also put a caveat that, you know, the moment you do that, the next release will come in and that mm-hmm. will wipe off all the configuration. So you have to put, take all of these configurations that we are advising uh, into your DevOps pipeline, do a left shift around it. So it takes time for us to go educate, you know, all of these because it's very complex. And uh, these three organizations, typically they don't work with each other at all, right? You know, app dev team or DevOps team, InfoSec team, and you know traditional GRC or risk management team. You uh, know, and fortunately, and that's the space that we are operating. We our product becomes an education tool, a continuous monitoring tool, and a continuous assurance tool by bringing in all of these collaborators on the same data, uh, which is live data, right? Uh, and being able to showcase that dashboard uh, to them and click remediate, click auto remediate or click uh, get a report around it. Uh, and that's where we are building the product to. And, uh, and thankfully, fortunately, Gartner's also recommending our product to their enterprise customers, their MSPs. So hopefully we'll, you know, we will see that we might become one of the largest and we would love it. We would love that too, Guru. Uh, it was so nice having you on the show. I love the conversation. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, to round out this segment, we just uh, want to play five questions with Security Weekly. <laughs> so are you ready? You have five questions. You have five questions. Love it. <laughs> we have five questions. So, Guru, three words to describe yourself. Uh, curious, um, maybe intuitive, and uh, very optimistic about the future. If you were Hopefully. a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Uh, keyboard. I'm an engineer. <laughs> if you wrote a book about yourself, what would the title be? Uh, I would say it's probably Trials and Tribunals of an Engineer Turned a Businessman. <laughs> In the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? Grabby Grabby. Um, ask Grabby Grabby. How interesting. Not sure. Uh, second, maybe. <laughs> Choose two celebrities to be your parents. Alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise. Otherwise. Um, Einstein and Robert De Niro. 
Oh. Pretty weird choices, yeah. Ooh, Fantastic. Like Guru, thank you so much for appearing on Security Weekly. Uh, cloudneedy.com forward slash Security Weekly for our listeners that want to learn more. And with that, we'll take a short break. Come back with the security news this week. Lots to talk about. Stay tuned.